<laughs> All right. We're going to do something just a little bit different tonight. And, uh, of course, we have to because the pastor's going through First Timothy. We can't, we can't do the same thing he's going through. You know, so so we, I thought we would do something a little bit. I've been threatening to do this for about five years. And uh, I just thought I'd get my feet wet with it just a little bit. Have we got that on? Is that is that back uh, thing going to work or not? You guys see that? All right, well, let's open in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we ask your your uh, blessing tonight on, on the service that we're having, and uh, we ask your blessing on the evangelism that's going on. Uh, it's been such a good week to the reports so far, and, and Lord, we, we just praise you because people are sharing the gospel, planting a seed. And uh, Father, we just thank you for the good reports that we're hearing. So Father, tonight, I ask that you again help me to, to just get out of the way and, and uh, let your word speak, even though this is a topical subject. I pray, Lord, that, that we can all be edified and reminded of your goodness and, and your, your faithfulness to us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so you see the, you see the title, maybe. Oh, you see it up there. All right, the back one isn't, isn't going too good. I have a book here I've had for, for a few years now, probably, I don't know, well, since I retired. That was seven years ago. So I've had it since then. And I thought, uh, I love Jerry Bridges, if, if you know who Jerry Bridges is. Um, he wrote a book back in, the, back in the late 70s called Pursuit of Holiness. And I taught through that in other churches I was with uh, for at least once a year. Um, it, it, it's something that's special to me. I've taught it here once, and uh, that was many years ago. And so I thought that this book here is, is something that I, I'm not sure how I want to introduce it, uh, but it's very important that we look at it uh, in the way that it was written. written. Uh, let me read my notes I've got. Respectable Sins, Confronting the Sins We Tolerate is a book written by Jerry Bridges which addresses various sins that Christians often overlook or tolerate in their own lives. It, this, this is a summary of the book's central message. So what I'm doing is just kind of an overview tonight, and maybe if the Lord wills someday that, that I might be able to just really teach through the thing. Um, but as I, as years ago as I was reading this, it really, it really... Uh, took a hold on me because there are times when we look at, at ourselves and we think, well, we're not so bad. You know, we've been saved and, and uh, the Lord has changed us and our life is not like it was before and so I'm not doing too bad. But I look at other Christians and I say, boy, they need work really bad. And so um, this book really brought, for me, brought it to 
a perspective where I have to look at myself and not other people. And so, Respectable Sins explores the idea that Christians often focus on external, obvious sins while neglecting the subtle and respectable sins that can hinder their spiritual growth. Jerry Bridges encouraged believers to examine their lives and confront these overlooked sins, recognizing that they are still offensive to God and hinder their relationship with him. The book highlights specific areas where Christians tend to tolerate sins, and here are just a few that we might be familiar with. And I'm not, I'm not going to go to that next slide yet. I want you to turn with me to... Psalm 139. Let me know when you're then there. Got it? All right. Jeff, you want to read the verses 23 and 24? I'm going to I'm just going to use these two verses to to get kind of a, a hold on this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxiety. And see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Okay. Now, as, as we look at this psalm, he said, the first word is search. Search. When you search something, what are you doing? You have, to, you have to use your outside voice, as Max said, because I don't have my hearing aids on. You yes. This word, this word search, implies a deep investigation and examination. The psalmist is inviting God, we know this is David, Inviting God to thoroughly search and examine his innermost being, including his thoughts, his desires, and his motives. This reflects David's desire for an intimate relationship with God where nothing is hidden. And as, I don't know how many read this book, but of respectable sins. But as we look at Scripture, we are told a few times, search yourself. Examine yourself. And if we're really serious about the Christian life, living a Christian life, we must come to the Lord and say, just like David is saying here, search me, O God. Because we might think we're doing really well. And when we think we're doing really well, there's a tendency to get a little prideful. There's a tendency to overlook things that we're doing wrong, that, that we need work on. And so we want to be careful of that. Let me go to the next. Well, I got a, I got a reference here of Hebrews 4.12. He says, the, for the... And how do we examine ourselves? We do it through the Word of God. Not by somebody else poking you in the ribs and saying, hey, you need to straighten up. 
even though there are times for that. I mean, we, we are accountable to people. But when, we're, when we want a really close relationship with the Lord, we have to search our own hearts with the Scripture. And we have to have the Holy Spirit help us with that. Because that's the only way we're going to be convicted of sin that we need to work on, is the Holy Spirit. Any questions so far? Any comments? If you're going to talk, talk loud because I do not have my hearing aids in. Okay? All right, we'll go on. Now, if we get done earlier, you guys, you just get out earlier. So, all right, so. The next word that, that David uses is, is no. He says, search, my, dear, search me, O God, and know my heart. Who knows your heart better than the Lord? He knows us better than we know ourselves. And that's, that's something that we need to be reminded of. David asked God to, to have a complete understanding of his heart. It is a plea for God to truly comprehend and know his innermost being. Not just a superficial level but at the deepest level of his thoughts, emotions, and character. Have you heard, maybe in your lifetime, someone, someone would say, or maybe you've heard them say, you can't change the way you look, but you can sure change the way you act. You see, you build character. I know when, when where, wherever you go through hard times, you've always got somebody to say, well, it builds character. Well, it should. It should build character. And David is asking the Lord, you know, oh God, search me, oh God, and know my heart. And he's looking for the, him to, not God already knows it, but he wants, he wants to know it from God, what he's doing. Does that make sense? God already knows our heart. So David's just saying, know me, you know me, search me, know me, but, but doing it for myself. So he says, David is asking God to have a complete understanding of his heart. It is a plea for God to truly comprehend and know his innermost being. Not just a superficial level, but a deepest level of thoughts, emotions, and character. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3, Paul writes this. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. If anyone loves God, this one is known by him. And this emphasizes the result of knowing God. When we love God... We are known by him intimately, and he knows us on a personal level. The other, another word, he says, try me. Search me, know my heart, try me. When we, we're in First Peter on, on Sunday school. And that the the persecuted Christians are being tried, and and their their uh, their their faith is being tested. David says, "Lord, search me, know me, 
Try me. He's asking to be tried. So he says, David asked God to test and examine him, to observe with great care his thoughts, intentions, and anxieties. This testing is not for God's benefit, as he already knows everything, but for, the, for David's own self-awareness and growth. And we can put ourselves in there too. James 1.12 says, But blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, this concept of being tested and tried is found throughout the New Testament. This is emphasizing the importance of endurance and perseverance in the face of trials. And then he goes on, and he talks about anxiety. David acknowledges that the Lord knows his works, his concerns, and fears by presenting his anxieties before God. When we are anxious about something, what's the other word for anxious? Worrying. So when we are... and Now, nobody can sit here and say, honestly, I never worry about something. Right? And so we all, it's a natural thing that we go through. We worry about health. We worry about finances. We worry about different things. We worry about our children. And boy, do I worry about my children. (laughs) And so, (laughs) and my in laws. And (laughs) so, so we worry. And, And, but who do we, who, we can't go to anybody else to fix our problem. The Lord is the one who can bring peace. And he is the only one who can calm our worries or anxieties. And David is saying, Lord, you know how I am. You know, and David went through a lot when you read the Psalms and uh, read the first Samuel, second Samuel, so on. So he says, then he says, lead me. And David's desire is God's guidance and direction in his life. He acknowledges that God's leading is essential for him to walk in the right path, one that leads to eternal life. John 10, 27, and, and these are good verses to memorize. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Now, Jesus is called the good shepherd. What does a shepherd do? He leads his sheep. What do the sheep do? They follow. They follow willingly. So this this emphasizes this verse emphasizes the importance of hearing and following the voice of Jesus, which leads to eternal life. And then he says, "Lead me in the way of everlasting." In the way of everlasting. David recognizes that lead, God's leading results in, the, in an eternal path. Eternal path. He desires to be led by God on a journey that leads to everlasting life. Both in the present and eternity. And John fourteen six, 
He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And no one, no one comes to the Father, finish it out, except through me. So God is the only one that we can go to. Jesus is, is the, the one who saves us. Jesus, as the embodiment of truth and life, offers the way to eternal fellowship with God the Father. So let me, I'm going to summarize this psalm in these two verses. Psalm 139, 23 through 24 expresses the psalmist's desire for God to search, know, test, and lead. It reflects a longing for intimacy with God, casting anxieties on him, and walking in a way that leads to everlasting life. The New Testament refer references further highlights the importance of God's discernment, knowledge, testing, comfort, guidance, and the role of Jesus as the way of eternal life. Now, I want to go back to where I started with the respectable sins. Let's see if we... Okay. There's a few things we're going to cover. Number one is ungodliness. Number two is anxiety. Number three is discontent. Number four is unthankfulness. Number five is selfishness. Number six is pride. So ungodliness. Oh, hold on. Any questions or comments yet so far? Oh, okay. Ungodliness. Someone read Second Timothy chapter two, verse sixteen. Actually four, fourteen through sixteen. So this is, a, this is a behavior, isn't it? It's something we do. It's, I mean, it's, it's an action. It's, it's something that we're doing. So it refers to a behavior or action that are contrary to the principles and teachings of God. He said, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase more to more ungodliness. So those are things that we want to watch out for. It is a state of living without reverence or respect for the divine, disregarding moral values and lacking a connection to the spiritual realm. Ungodliness can manifest as a reflection of religious, of rejection of religious beliefs, engaging in sinful or immoral behavior, or neglecting one's spiritual development. 
You get, does that make sense? In the book, in the book, Respectable Sins, Jerry Bridges says this. There's a title. It's called The Disappearance of Sin. The very word sin, which seems to have disappeared, was once a proud word. It was once a strong word, an ominous and serious word. But the word went away. It almost disappeared. The word, along with the notion of sin. Why? Why doesn't anyone sin anymore? Why? Doesn't anyone sin anymore? Doesn't anyone believe in sin? If you go around and talk to people, we ask them, do you think you're a good person? If you talk about sin, they, well, they don't, they're not, people don't know what sin is anymore. Because the culture that, that we live in and, and, the, and the culture around the world is that you just do whatever you feel like doing. It's okay. I mean, that was the thing when, when I was growing up back in the early 60s, mid-60s. If it feels good, do it. Doesn't matter whether it's against God's standards or not. If it feels good, do it. He says, well, doesn't anyone sin anymore? Doesn't anyone believe in sin? Actually, the younger generation really has no uh, definition of what sin is. I like what Mary Ann said in, in uh, one of our evangelism classes on Saturday. Sin, what is it? How can you describe it simply? It's what you think. It's what you say, and it's what you do that is displeasing to a holy God. That's sin. Unfortunately, the idea of sin is all but disappearing from many churches as well. And he goes on to, to talk about a, a book that was written about where has sin gone. So ungodliness, that's number one. Number two, anxiety. Someone want to read Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. It's up there. You can read it off the screen if you can see it. Oh, you can see it better up there than I can see it back there. Okay, so he says, be anxious for nothing. Now, we, we say that, right? We, we quote that to people. We, we know people that worry. Well, you know, the Bible says you're not supposed to be anxious for anything. It's always really easy to quote Bible, you know, to people. It's just not that easy to live it, is it? When it comes, when it comes to our personal, when it comes to our personal thing, somebody will come up to you, or me, and say, don't worry about it. 
The Bible says, don't be anxious for anything. How does that set? Sometimes you just want to smack them on the side of the head, you know. And because uh, at the time, at the time, we are anxious for something or worrying about something. No matter what somebody says, it isn't going to do any good. We have to come to the Lord ourselves and ask the Lord to give us that peace. And so this is one of the respectable sins that we overlook in ourselves. And so, but now we can sure see it in other people, but we can't see it in ourselves. Well, I'm not worried about it. Nothing bothers me. Really? Well, let me read my notes. Since I take the time to type them out, I might as well read them, right? So, while it is a normal human emotion... Excessive and persistent anxiety can become a sin when it, when it consumes a person's thoughts and prevents them from trusting God in God's providence. It can lead to a lack of faith, an inability to find peace, and a preoccupation with worldly concerns rather than focusing on spiritual growth and relying on divine guidance. Now, I have a member of, of my family, uh, one of my siblings, and there, there's nothing in the world that would ever make her not anxious about every little thing that comes up. And when she talks to me, she says, you're just like dad. You don't understand. You don't understand. And maybe that's true. But I learned one thing from, well, I learned several things from my dad. But one, one thing I learned from my dad is don't get too emotional when you don't have to. And uh, now sometimes I can't help it. But when it comes to other people's problems, I'm not going to pat you on the back and say, oh, it's all right. It's going to be all right. There's got to be a solution. You, go, you say you trust in God, go to him. You say you pray to him all the time and you ask him for guidance. Where's it at? And so anxiety, we overlook it in ourselves. But we sure see it in other people. Any comments or questions? Do I not? Do you think that there is a time, though, like with being anxious, you know, that I came to you and I told you some things that they are really struggling? Oh, ab absolutely. And that, that's a time where, where two brothers can pray about this situation. You know, and that's why we need each other. That's what the whole body is about. Love one another. You did a whole series on love one another, you know, and uh, we need each other. That's... That's the whole point of being accountable in the family of God. Because we need each other. There's times I, Kurt, I've gone to you. I've gone to Vince. I've, I've gone to, to a few of you. And because something bothered me, I need prayer about it. And so, but why? You didn't say, oh, don't worry about it. No, you said, let's pray about it. 
And that's what we need to do. That's why we shouldn't overlook it. We can't, we can't put on our, our man-up uh, facade and say, nothing bothers me. But that's a personal sin, a respectable sin. All right? All right. Next one, discontent. We might not finish this, guy. Discontentment. I'll read, I'll read it because I can <laughs> probably read faster. Huh? Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. And so, you know, discontentment. Discontentment refers to a persistent dissatisfaction. How do you feel like you fit in life? How do you feel like you fit in your relationship with the Lord? Well, I'm okay. I don't need anybody. You know, years ago I had a guy tell me, it's good, you know, it's good to read, we know this, it's good to read a Proverbs a day. And, you know, do we do it all the time? Probably not. But it's good that we do. And, and so I had a guy tell me one time, you know, why? I read it once. If you, don't, you don't get what it says? Why do you have to read it again? I read it once. Well, I read the whole Bible once. But I read it again and again and again. Why? We have to be reminded. Same way with respectable sins. So, this discontentment refers to persistent dissatisfaction or lack of contentment with one's circumstances, possessions, or achievements. It is an attitude of always wanting more and being unhappy with what you have. leading to a lack of gratitude and constant pursuit of worldly desires. Discontentment can be considered a sin when it fosters greed, envy, or a lack of appreciation for the blessings already present in one's life. Discontentment. Unthankfulness. Romans 1.21, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor, nor were thankful, be, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, this is talking about the unsaved. First, first Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Unthankfulness. It's also known as ingratitude. Have you ever done something for someone and said, Boy, they're ungrateful. They're ungrateful. Why do we keep doing things for them when they're ungrateful? It's ingratitude. It's a failure to express gratitude or appreciation for blessings, favors, or kindness received from others, including God. It involves taking things for granted and not acknowledging the goodness or generosity extended toward oneself. Here's the sum of it. One, unthankfulness is considered a sin as it reflects a self-centered attitude. 
a lack of humility, a failure to recognize the source of one's blessing. Unthankfulness. What time we usually quit around here? Do what? Uh-huh. Oh, wait a minute. Yes, and that and that leads into a book that uh, another book that Jerry Bridges uh, wrote that I tried to teach through some years ago, called the Gospel for Real Life, and in there, and he says it in in this book too. We should preach the gospel to ourselves daily, and sometimes, oftentimes, daily. And that why does that? Just what Kurt said. It brings us to know who God is, thank God for loving us for what we are. We know what we are. And so um, it's very important. Not only that, if you preach the gospel to yourself daily, then you're gospel ready to tell somebody else. Anything else, Kurt? All right, selfishness. Let nothing be done, the Philippians 2, 3, and 4, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Selfishness, I'll, I'll cut this short here. Selfishness refers to a preoccupation with one's own interests, needs, and desires. Selfishness. What can you do for me? Not what, not what can I do for you, but what can you do for me? And then, this is the one that starts it all anyway. When we respect our, when we re, have sins that we respect for ourselves or sins that we tolerate. It all boils down to pride. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. James 4, 6 says, but he, give, he gives grace, more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Pride is an excessive or inflated sense of self-worth, superiority, or importance. So, we have to ask ourselves, what do we think of ourselves? I like what one of the guys said at a Saturday morning breakfast. You think, you think you're something? Go look in the mirror. <laughs> you know? 
A refusal to acknowledge one's faults or limitations, it is considered a sin as it, as it opposes humility. It fosters a sense of entitlement and hinders one's ability to connect with others and God. Certainly, here are some Bible verses related to each of the sins mentioned in the New King James Version. And that's what I've got there. So let me make this closing comment. I hope that this lesson has been a good reminder of things that we have to keep working on with the Lord's help. We can't do it ourselves. We have to do it with the Lord's help. These are just a few verses that provide insights into the negative consequences of these sins and offer guidance uh, on how to overcome them through faith, humility, and gratitude. We must be thankful. But we cannot forget the fact that we need to go to the Lord just like David did and say, search me, O God. Know me. Try me. Another place he says, search me and see if there be anything wicked in me. Okay, any, any comment? That was just, a, just kind of an overview of, of what's in this book. If you've never read this book, uh, I would recommend it. Although most people don't do what I recommend. <laughs> but it, it's really good. It, it's a convicting book. It is something that, that uh, I needed, and I still need it. And so... Anyway, that's, that's the end of it. Respectable sins, confronting the sins we tolerate. Okay, let's, no comments, questions? You, you need a prayer sheet? <laughs>